You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. You see, we've been looking at Luke for the past four weeks. If you've picked that up, every reading has been from the book of Luke. And in every reading that we've seen from Luke 9 through to about 18, the last chapter of Luke, uh, every reading we've had, you see that there is a fleck of teaching about generosity. And that's what this series has been all about, radical generosity. We've been talking about what it means to be radically generous as opposed to being technically generous. Radically generous versus technically generous. Uh, To be pervasively generous, to be radically generous means you give away things of value in every area of your life, right? That's what pervasively generous meant. And so that's why we redefine generosity in terms of currency, because to have currency is an exchange of value. So radical generosity is the giving away of things of value to you in all of your life. So that's why you can be someone who is technically generous by giving away lots of your money, but you're the sort of person who doesn't like to give away your time or relationships. You're technically generous, not radically generous. Or you could be a person who can give away a lot of your time, but you don't want to give away your money. And so you're technically generous, but you're not radically generous. So generosity is not just about giving your money away. If you're just coming into this series this morning or you're a guest with us, we're glad you're here. Generosity is not just giving away money. It's, it's never less than that, but it's so much more. What we're finding is that, that generosity is to give away the things of value. And so for the final week, we look at what it means to give yourself away. What does it mean not to give away your time, your money, but yourself in ministry? What does it mean to serve? What does it mean to be radically generous in service? The theme is this, that everyone here, anyone who calls himself a Christian or a follower of Jesus Christ, is is coming into this place not to just have their needs met to be a ministry consumer, but to be a ministry provider. We'll see from the passage that Jesus expects his followers to be ministry providers. So that's a question for you this morning. Are you just a ministry consumer or a ministry provider? Are you just consuming or providing? You see, without that provision, then you can be just technically generous in other areas of your life, but you're not radically generous. So today we're simply going to ask, what does it mean to minister or to serve? Why minister? What is ministry in this context? How do we do it? That's what we're going to look at. Why? What is it? How do we do it? You cool with that? Um, why serve? Why do ministry? Uh, have, a, have a look here in uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. After this, the Lord appointed the 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he's about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The significance of this little section of passage you don't get until you read back through into the earlier parts of Luke 9 where Jesus sends out the 12, the 12 what? The 12 disciples. So Jesus has already sent out the 12 disciples and he sends out now another 72 disciples. So interesting point that the 12 were not the only disciples that were following Jesus at the time. And so he sends out the 72. Now what's so significant about the 72? Uh, I had to do a bit of digging around on this because we're not going to get it unless you do a little bit of background research. What is significant about the 72? Could be that it stems all the way back to the Old Testament, which was the Bible that the disciples would have been reading at their time because it was, they were living the New Testament. Uh, they would have read back and there was uh, the story of the flood. We all know the story of Noah and the flood. 
And there was the story of the flood in the Old Testament. And when, when the earth is restored at the end of the flood, you see in Genesis chapter 10 that all of these new uh, families or nations is another way to put it. There's a table of the nations and it lists them through. I won't read it because it can get boring. And we've only got 20 minutes. But they list all of the new nations that spread the whole earth out and start this new humanity after the flood. List them all down, really boring. Anyone want to have a guess at how many are listed there? Wow, gold star class, 72. Wow, who would have thought? Why is this significant? Depends on what the 72 means, who the 72 are. Jesus sends out 72. 72 meant completeness. 72 meant everybody. So when Jesus sent out 72, he's sending everybody, the whole church, to do the same three things as the 12 apostles. Cast out demons, heal the sick, (laughs) preach the word. Sends the 12 apostles and the 72 to do that. Preach means to persuade the mind of truth. Cast out demons meant to liberate the soul from that which enslaves it. Curing the sick meant meet the needs and of, of, of hurting bodies. And so Jesus sends the 72 out. And here's the point. He sends them, sent. Uh, the, the, the word underneath all of that is missio, where we get the word mission. He sends them out on a mission. The whole point of this is he sends everybody, 72, making it absolutely clear that I send everybody. The point is it's not just the apostles. It's not just the 12. In modern day terms, it's not just the ministers. It's not just the clergy. All believers, all Christians are meant to be people on mission. Everyone's meant to serve. I say it like this. God's a a spiritual tornado. He only ever sucks you into his thing called the church in order to fling you back out again. The point being that Jesus never calls you in without the expectation that once you've come into his grace, you will take that back out and all the benefits that come with it and spread it out into the world around you. That sound like a fair deal? The Bible says a Christian is someone who's sent on a mission. Let me expand the why a little bit more here. Why, why should we do ministry? Why should we serve? Ephesians 2, there's a great verse in Ephesians 2. It says, for we are God's workmanship created to do the works which he has prepared in advance for you to do with God's workmanship um, don't you see every person in this room you're, you're a snowflake you're a thumbprint you're unique and this means that there are some people in the world there that only you can reach All of your hurts, all of your pains, all of your strengths, all of your stuff-ups, by the way, that is not wasted in God's mission. Some of you are different age groups. Some here are professionals. Some are not. Some are from other countries. Some are from here. Don't you see that there are only some people that you can reach? And that's why God has prepared good works for you to do. He is sending you. Only you can heal. Only you can preach and convince. Only you can meet the needs of some of the people that he has prepared in advance to do. That's why he sends everyone on mission. And so you see, you see, if you see yourself now as a person that says, no, nah, look, I, look, okay, yeah, I come to church to get needs met. And that's okay for a while, by the way. But if you see yourself bridging that gap and saying, I'm not here just to have my needs met. I'm not here just to be a ministry consumer. I'm a ministry provider. 
I'm here to spread this out into the world and, and God has uniquely created me to do that. Have you grasped that this morning? If you do that, you're fulfilling his sentness, the 72. A Christian, first of all, why do we minister? We're supposed to be people who live lives of deep, pervasive unselfishness. We've received this, we just want to send it back out. That's why we serve. And then what is service? What is service in this context? And I probably won't go down the usual path that I do because we've, we've been there and we've talked through what it means. I think it's quite unique the way that Jesus gets us off centre in this passage. Let me clarify here about mission for a second because I don't know about you, but I think some people think when they're on mission, they go thinking, what, Madagascar? You know, they think overseas or Africa. So if God's sending me on mission, I've got to go overseas. I've got to be sent overseas. I've got to go and do something different. But no, here's the point. I think first and foremost to be sent on mission is to be sent on an mission out of yourself. Out of yourself. Move out of yourself. I think the great challenge, at least I see in my own life, for any Christian is to escape the whirlpool of your own interests and your own desires and your own comfort. We're going to be sent beyond ourselves, first and foremost, if we're going to do anything for Jesus. Now, Jesus illustrates this in the harshest of ways. It sounds so harsh. Oh, it sounds harsh. I don't, I don't know if it's because, remember at this back end of Luke, he's, he's only two to three weeks away from the cross. This is all of his teaching on his way down to Jerusalem for the far, last time. So maybe he's harsh because he's run out of time. I don't know. The other thing is maybe he played rugby too and he's just trying to get us all off centre. Okay, here's, here's, how he, here's how he tries to lift us in the tackle and get us off centre. Uh, Luke chapter 9 verses 57 through to 58. He says, as they're walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus replies, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So, What's he, what's he challenging here? What's he pushing out against here? And as I was reflecting on this this week, I thought it was this. You see, he doesn't seem to be challenging the heart or the desire or the intention to do service or ministry. He's challenging the priority that it, that it has in these people's lives and our lives. Not the heart. Look, look at the desire. I'll follow you wherever I want to go, Jesus. And what's the first to the first guy here? He's saying, whoa, whoa, slow down, slow down. You're, you're following me too fast. <laughs> you're following too fast. Stop. Think about it. For, foxes have dens. Foxes, at least, they have holes to go to. Son of man has nothing. What he's saying is that for that person that's really intense in their ministry, just think about it for a sec. The adventure that I call you on means that you, you might have to require a, a lesser lifestyle than what you've got right now. Have you, ever, have you ever heard those intense people into ministry? Oh, yeah, 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 I'll follow you, I'll follow you. Those intense Christians that fly into church, I call it the rock skimming principle. We know how long that they're going to last in ministry for Jesus by the degree of both their, intense, their intensity and their shallowness. Because if you're two ways to throw a rock into a pond. If you're really intense and really shallow, what's that thing going to do? It skims right back off again. And I can tell you, friends, the amount of brothers and sisters, I'm not denying they're Christians, but come into this place intensely like this first person that Jesus challenges. I'll follow you. I'm going to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And then bang, they're back out the door again within six to eight or ten weeks. 
So, so Jesus challenges the first guy. He says, look, slow down. You're following me too fast. Then to the other two, listen to what, what he says to them. This is really where it starts to get harsh. He then says to... Uh, then, uh, then he says to another man, follow me. But the man replies, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then to another one, he said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replies, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, look at how he's challenging either ends of the spectrum here. Um, the second and the third are similar, aren't they? They're similar. And, and what, what's he challenging at the heart of them here in this passage? What, what is he challenging them there when it comes to service and ministry? Here's what I think he's challenging. They're saying, Jesus, I, look, I, I, will, I will serve you, but... Let me first go and do X. Oh, look, oh, look, Jesus, I get you. I like your teaching. I like, you. I like who you are. I sense you've got a good following. But let me go and deal with this first. I'll follow you 100%. Just let me deal with my father. Just let me deal with my family. Now, in a highly patriarchal society, this is incredibly provocative, right? This is a culture where family was everything to these people. In the Monday sense, Jesus is saying, uh, come follow me, come follow me ahead of achievement, come follow me ahead of success, come follow me ahead of your career, come follow me ahead of um, power and money and sex, come follow me ahead of all of that sort of stuff. And it's, it's, it, this sounds very harsh, doesn't it? Now, the question is, is, look, does Jesus mean this literally? Like if it's modern day and you've got a sick parent, is Jesus saying you've got to go and leave him behind? I don't think so. I think he's being idiomatic here, what we call idiomatic. He's trying to prove, prove a point. He's, he's, trying to, he's trying to drill it home to us. And here's what he's saying here. He's saying, if you are the person that's saying, yes, you'll follow, follow me, but there is a but... then what is ever on the other side of that if or but, that is the thing that is of real value to you. Can I say that again? <laughs> Jesus is saying if, if the heart intention, the desire, if everything is there, Jesus, I will follow you, I'll follow you, but if I could just, whatever is on the other side of the if or the but is the real thing of value in your life. So question... Because radical generosity, right, is the giving away of things of value in your life. That's what radical generosity is. Let's pause and apply this to ourselves as blunt as Jesus teaches us this morning. Let me just ask you, what is on the other side of your if or your but? Sometimes it's, I'd love to serve Jesus, but the week's full, you know. <laughs> hey, um, I, I tried serving Jesus, but I'm just not sure what to do. I'll, I'll serve you, Jesus, but I just don't want it to affect, affect this vibe that I've got going on. You know, life's sort of in its groove right now. I love this illustration that I heard. I said that uh, if you took the distance from the earth to the sun, uh, which is about 60 million kilometers, and you just made that one sheet of paper thick, okay? If you did that, if you boiled that down to one sheet of paper thick, 
then the distance from the sun to the next nearest star would be a stack of paper high 20 meters high. And then if you went from Earth to the outer ends of the Milky Way, that little piece of paper, that would be a stack of paper somewhere about 220 kilometers high. And then the Milky Way is just a speck of dust amongst a whole bunch of other galaxies that are floating around there. And then, by the way, the Bible says that God, Jesus Christ, holds all of this together. Right, he wraps it around his little pinky. <laughs> now, the question for you this morning is, is that the sort of person that you ask into your life to be your personal assistant? I'll, fo- I'll, fo- I'll follow you, Jesus, but hey, don't call me, we'll call you. It's radical, isn't it? It's radical the way that he... Look, he's just trying to get you off centre again this morning. I thought this was going to be easier to preach after money last week. Um, uh, look, I, I look at it another way. I look at it like this. I sometimes think about what if, what if I had to have a come to Jesus talk with Jesus? You ever heard of that? A come to Jesus talk, it sort of goes like this. You know, I just imagine that he put his arm around me and he said, Sam, Sam, you know, it was tough living as your own saviour, wasn't it? I go, yeah, Lord, it was. You know, I was caught up in my own self-interest. and Yeah, it was tough, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I'm your saviour now, Sam. And what that means is I've, I've called you into this mighty, wonderful, crazy adventure. And wouldn't you agree, Sam, that your life is a heck of a lot more adventurous and bigger pictured and a greater sense of joy and excitement? And yes, there's challenges, but it's a lot bigger than what you had before you met me. Yeah, Lord. Uh, well, Sam, I've, I've, given you, I've, given you ever, I've given you the deepest thing that your heart desires. I've given you the very thing, uh, plus all the other stuff that's gone around in your life. I've given all of that to you. Um, don't, don't you think you could just then live for me? <laughs> and more than that, live for others? The point is, you can't give yourself away radically generous in ministry if you f- haven't first given yourself to Jesus Christ. And look, that is the wrestle for us all. I'm not saying that we're... We're not good intentioned and there's not good heart's desire in all of this. Of course there is, but that's not what Jesus pushes into. As the Greek word proton first, is, is he first? Is he first? That's what it means to serve in the sense of what Jesus is talking about here. Your first mission, if we want to talk about service, let's not worry about where you serve. But how you serve, you've got to get out of yourself. You've got to get sent out of yourself. So that's what we said. Jesus is saying, you're a thumbprint, you're a snowflake, (laughs) you're unique. There are things that have happened in your life, the good things, but by the way, the encouraging news this morning, the junky things that have happened in your life, the things you think that preclude you from ministry, the very things that God, the great workman, he's, he's he's an artist, he doesn't make mistakes. He's going to use all of these things so there are only uh, hearts that you can heal and there are only people that you can reach and there are hurts that only you can meet the need on. And not only that, he's saying the only way that you will move into that is if you place him first and you're sent out of yourself. Out of your own desires around it. So the question is now for the practical as we finish off this morning. How, how do you? How do you serve? What does it look like practically? I really want to skim here because I've talked about this before. But you serve. How you serve simply is this. I'll give you the framework, not the what's because we're all different. The framework is this. Find the intersection between affinity, ability and opportunity. You've heard this before, right? Okay, so I preached about it back in the bridge series in Getting Ready, so we're not going to go over it again. But it's just three concentric circles. 
affinity? What gets you up out of a morning without an alarm clock? What burns your heart for God? That's your affinity. Then the cross-section of your ability. Are you gifted in this? Do you do this better than nine out of ten other people naturally? That's your gift. And does it coincide with what God is burdening you with? An opportunity is, is, has God opened up a place, not just within the church, maybe out in the world, to exercise that? Does that make sense? Affinity, ability, opportunity. What it means, church, is that there is a U-shaped hole in our ministry at Northside. We say before that the vision for this church is fulfilled by people who step into acts of service. Yes, we have lists of areas where you can serve at Northside, but the deeper challenge for all of us is that the places that need, where we need to be serving aren't written down by the ministry team. Because only you know the call that God has on your life and the skills and the way that he has encouraged you. Look, John Eldridge says this. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes me alive and then go and do it. (laughs) Because what the world needs is people who have become fully alive. So affinity, ability, opportunity. Here's, Here's the other thing that, and why I want to skim over this is I want to talk into this one this morning in the how. You've got to work yourself on the, on the spectrum of not being too individualistic and not too collectivistic about your service. In individualistic and collectivistic, here's what I mean. The individualistic person is like some people um, that can come up to pastors in churches and say, you know what, pastor, God's told me I'm called to preach here. <laughs> oh, really? Well, I was hanging out with the elders and we sort of didn't quite get the message. And they said, no, 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 well, I'm called. I'm like, well, how do you know that, how do you know that you're called? Well, God told me. And you go, oh, I can't argue with that, can I? <laughs> um, but in, the question is, well, what makes you think it was a call? How do you know that it wasn't heartburn? <laughs> or more likely, how do you know it's not your ego? You need people to come around you. You need people of wisdom. You need the community to help you see that you're not being over-individualistic. It's not saying that you're not called here. It's just, have you got the right checks and balances? On the other end of the spectrum, you can be collective, collectivistic. And here's what, here's what this means. It, the collectivistic person says, oh, you know what? It's the church's job to work out where I'm going to serve. And what happens? You become passive. The collectivistic person, they sit back and say, you know, I know there could be a lot of things to serve God here with, but I want somebody to ask me. I don't know whether I'm called or not. I want somebody to come to me and say, you should do this and you you should do that, and they should tell me. And look, church, I'm not convinced that that's the way that it's supposed to work. In fact, the thing that has pained me, even as recently as this week, that a key leader, I overheard a comment where they said that, that they believe someone has left this church because they didn't know where they could have served or how they could have been used. And why it breaks my heart is I'm not convinced that that is the way that it's supposed to be. This is the call of who? Who sent out the 72? Jesus Christ. It's the call of God himself. And I'm not convinced that it's the job of the pastors or the ministry team to come alongside you and provide a list of all the areas that you are supposed to serve. Of course, we can guide you and work it through, but this is the call of God on your life. And frankly, that may may mean that you're not serving in the church. It could be elsewhere. But the collectivistic person says, oh, well, no one told me what to do, so I'm not serving, or I can't see it, or there's not a place for me in that. 
And that breaks my heart. I believe the role of the church is to confirm you or to slow you down or to affirm you or to contradict you when you're trying to work out what your call in serving is. Does that sound fair enough? Every Christian has to have ministry channels for service and it's not my job or the ministry team's job to come and wring that out of you. This is a call from God into the way that he has uniquely gifted him. And part of all of this is to get you thinking and to stir you up. So you work out, and here's how it works, is you come out at the back of a Sunday like this and you go, you know what, maybe, maybe Sam has got a point. Where should I be serving? Am I serving? Okay, well, I think I'm called to this, and then what do you do? So you're not individualistic. You go to your home group or you go to some good friends and said, I think I'm called to do this. Northside doesn't do this yet. Do you reckon this could be an area of ministry? And they go, no, no, that's, I'm not sensing that. Or no, you know what, I can see that. And then you're working with the ministry team saying, what, what do you reckon? And the ministry team would either affirm you or slow you, affirm you or slow you based on where we see what is happening here. So see how the dynamic works, that you can't be individualistic and collectivistic. Is, does that help? I, I hope it's, that we're wrestling with that. We all need a channel for our service and our ministry. I'm not saying that it has to necessarily be at Northside because God is sending you out into the world. Some of you may have amazing ministries of service outside of this church and I thank God for that because that's how we will continue to be a church of influence in the city of Sydney. So as we finish, how how do you get the dynamic for all of this? Because the disciples didn't get the dynamic for all of this and it's clear as day because Jesus says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sends the messages ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready, but the people didn't welcome him. So when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? Now, what's that? Um, that's a lack of generosity. <laughs> that's not the spirit of generosity. And these guys could probably be forgiven because um, they, don't, they haven't yet had the revelation that you and I have as Christians. You see, they're on their way up to Jerusalem. So they're about to see the ultimate act of generosity. But why, why is Jesus so different from these guys? And you couldn't half blame him because earlier in Luke 9, you see that they've, they've gone up with Jesus on a mountaintop. They've gone to the top of a mountain. He is, it's called the transfiguration. And who turns up on the top of the mountain? Moses and Elijah. And they affirm Jesus as the ultimate version of them. And they're in Samaria, which, by the way, they would have known this story back in Samaria of Elijah in Second Kings chapter 1 when King Ahab was after him. And so Elijah is sitting on top of a mountain in Samaria in the same region. And so he sends out 50 men to say, Elijah, come down. The king wants to speak to you. You're in trouble. And Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, then fire come down from heaven and be gone. And guess what happened? <laughs> Smoked him. Ash. King has to send out another 50 men. Man of God, come down. Uh, the king wants to speak to you. If I'm a man of God, then fire come down from heaven. I'm going to smoke you. <laughs> Does it three times. So here they are in the same region, in the same place with the ultimate Elijah. And you know what they're thinking. These dirty Samaritans, we can't stand them. Do the whole Elijah trick, Jesus. <laughs> smoke them. They didn't understand this revelation. Look, he is the ultimate Elijah, but what's... What's the difference? Because he rebukes them. It says Jesus re- rebukes them. And they say, call down fire. And what does Jesus say? He says, he says shut up, you jerks. <laughs> That's what a rebuke is. Pull your head in. 
Because he says, I'm about to go and show you what it means to be truly generous. I'll show you what it means to be the ultimate Elijah in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if it's not your will, but my will be done. If, I, if there's any way for this, this cup of wrath, this cup of fire to pass from me, then may, may you make it happen. And so they then, only a couple of weeks later, would have understand what generosity meant in, in this, that Jesus didn't come to bring down fire, but to have the fire come down on him. That Jesus didn't come to bring judgment, but to bear judgment. And so when he goes to the cross, we see the ultimate act of, of generosity and we see the dynamic for all of our ministry here that we've been saying the whole series. And you see Jesus giving himself away for you like this. You see, because when you hear this this morning, that I'm saying Jesus is saying that you've got to give yourself away from ministry, you're going to hear that and you go, yeah, I, look, I should do that. I need to do that. I might, but I don't, I'm not sure how well I'll do it. I'm just going to tell myself to be unselfish. I'm going to tell myself to be a servant. I'm telling myself to give myself away. Look, if you just tell yourself, it's not going to work. Only until you see the fire coming down on him. <laughs> Only until you see Jesus withholding the fire on everyone else so he can consume that. Only when you see Jesus giving himself away for you can then you start to give a little bit of yourself away for others. Oh, there's nothing more radical than the discipleship of Jesus. Go put, your, go put me ahead of your family and your career and everything else, says Jesus. <laughs> Look, Jesus is radical, but he's also very gentle. And he'll work that through with you. He says, my followers never call fire down on people. They give themselves away. They don't call fire down. They, they're generous. <laughs> Let me finish with this, what service looks like. We've seen a picture of it at Alexander Campbell House. but um, We've had a... We, be careful how much I share because it, it's, it's still ongoing and it, it's sensitive, but I'll talk in broad terms. You know, there's a young lady that came to church a couple of months ago in a real point of crisis and she needed some real help and she said, Sam, can you plug me into someone that's able to help me out? And I said, yeah, I could go and try, but the reality is part of the issue is so sensitive that it's very difficult to call anyone up and saying, I know that you've had this challenge, can you please help this um, young lady that we've got here? And so I sort of said yes, but I had to realistically leave it to it. Look, I'm just, I'll just pray for you. And I did. I legitimately was we were praying to God that, that something, something would happen. A um, couple of months later, one of our young mums out of nowhere says, Hey, can, Sam, can we hang out after mother time on Thursday morning? Because I just want to serve. And, uh, and so I said, Well, I'm not around, can't do Then I'll pop around for a cup of tea. And we just hung out for five or ten minutes. And... I'm thinking that she wants to yeah, help out with mother time or she wants to look after some of the kids or something. Anyway, we're chatting for five minutes and she starts to say, look, I've been through this experience in my life and it's been very difficult and it's been very tough, but God has healed me in this whole process and now I feel like I'm at a point where I can serve and I just want to bless someone else with it. And it's a very specific issue. And she says, do you think there's anyone in Northside that could benefit from what God has put me through? And I'm, I'm just, I'm in, I'm in tears. <laughs> I said, I know, I know exactly who I can put you in touch with. And the two of them have been meeting up and having a coffee. And I got an email from that young lady um, all of a couple of weeks ago to say that she's been meeting up with this other young mum, and she's been such a blessing to her life. And the specificity of these two things has just been godlike. You're a snowflake, 
You're a thumbprint. And some of you might have had stuff-ups, mess-ups, junks, hurts, pains in your life that you think God would never redeem. But maybe, just maybe, there's someone who in a couple of months or a year or two or three comes into this church and is going to say to the minister, do you think that anyone could help me in this area? He sent the 72 out. He sent everyone. We're all supposed to be in ministry. There there are hands only that you can hold. There are hurts where only you can meet that need. There are hearts that only you can heal. Go be a minister for Jesus Christ this week. <laughs> Understand the significance. Prayerfully, he'll send you out of yourself. And then we'll see through his power and through us the way that he'll affect a church, a city, and then the world. Let's pray.